Robin Sills from St. Mary's Hospital. And this is not a tape tonight. This is live. I'm actually in the studio. Um, I, I thank you for your indulgence. Uh, two weeks ago, we, we did a, a taped show. But we are definitely live tonight and here with Medically Speaking. And we are going to have two guests with us tonight. So I'm excited that... Um, you could join us tonight. We are going to take a little diversion for the first part of the show and talk a little bit about community events and community projects because at St. Mary's, we have many people that work within our hospital that are involved in lots of ways in our community, supporting uh, community events and projects, not just for health, but also health of the mind, body and spirit. So tonight with what we have for us in the first part of our show is um, a little presentation from Shakespeareans, and then we're we're going to take a break, and I'm going to be bringing in one of our physicians, Dr. Salib, and we're going to talk a little bit about the flu season. So two very different different pieces tonight, but I think you'll enjoy them a little bit different, so we thought we'd change it up with you. So for the first part, we are here tonight with Jeff. Hi, Jeff, from Shakespeareans. Hi, Robin. Thank you and for having me. And I want to say me. your last name good again. Lampum. Lapham. Lapham. Yes. I was close. Lapham. I'm proud to say I'm not a recording. And thank You're you not a recording. Me. Yes, you are live and in person. So you had reached out to me um, to talk a little bit about the program that you're going to be doing coming up starting tomorrow. Start, starts tomorrow. As a matter of fact, as we speak, they're having a dress rehearsal in our studio. Wow. That's yeah. awesome. Well, Shakespeareans is an incredible little hole in the wall right down in it on Bank Street. And I had the pleasure of working with you on a project for a fundraiser, and I had such fun doing it, and it's such a unique, incredible place. Well, you made a terrific nurse in Romeo yeah. and Juliet. <laughs> it wasn't too far from what I did, but I think I drifted from it the role a bit. It was sassy, which it was, was perfect. It was sassy. We had so much fun doing it. And we have a few um, members within Trinity Health of New England at St. Mary's Hospital that sit on your board. You do, we have not one but two. Two, right? Two representatives from from St. Mary's. Yeah, we have Claudio Capone. Claudio and, uh, and Catherine and Walker. And Catherine Walker. So they, you know, they reached out to me about the program coming up and it kind of has a medical twist to it. So I thought it'd be really neat to let the audience know what's happening and where it's happening. So this is Radium Girls. It's right? Radium Girls. It has a it has a medical twist. It has a scientific twist. Um, it's got uh, components of um, the, the rise of journalism and um, public interest stories. Um, there's and, and there's even a little bit of, uh, of law in there. There's, uh, you know, the labor law. The labor law. Yep. So let's talk a little bit about Radium Girls, because I had heard, I heard about it as I was growing up, but never fully understood what it was about. And I just did a little bit of research on it. So this isn't a new play for you. First of all, you've done this before. It's right? not a new play. We've done it before. And it's, as we say, backed by popular demand. Backed by popular yeah. demand. So what's the history with, with the Radium Girl story? Because this is a true story. It, it's a true story. It takes place in, uh, it opens in 1926 when uh, radium was a miracle cure. And Marie Curie has discovered radium. And um, they're starting to experiment with it uh, to cure cancer. And they're starting to experiment with it for its it's sort of glow-in-the-dark properties, and um, and it, you know, it's they're even people are even starting to drink it as an elixir. So they're putting it in water and drinking it, um, and that's that's where we open. And then uh, the the local story um, here in Illinois 
and in New Jersey, um, the uh, there were young girls uh, when their fathers and and uh, husbands were at war uh, in World War II, World War One. Um, they're brought into the factories to because of their uh, dainty hands and artistic skill uh, to paint the dials of watches so that they glow in the dark. And um, the paint is very expensive. Radiums awfully expensive to extract so the uh, they try a number of ways to get a sharp point on their um, on their paintbrush but the uh, the the be-all end-all of it is they keep going back to pointing the brushes with their lips so they the girls were instructed so they to, were wetting the lips to, to point make them with the their point. lips yeah. so they were ingesting the radium they were ingesting Routinely. the radium and I, I just learned that radium is um, is alpha radiation which is among the weakest there is according to the science teacher that's been in our show all three times um, and you can block it with a piece of paper but not if you're ingesting it and not if you're putting it on your lips and skin so not to give away the whole story because we want people to definitely partake in the story because it'd be a really it's a really neat thing to go out and see what happens to these girls and how do they finally find out that this is bad for them well, they start to get they start to get sick and they start to lose their teeth. Oh. Uh, they start to bleed from their mouth, and it's blamed on stomach ulcers, and it's blamed on venereal diseases, and it's because well, science just hadn't really caught up with it wow. yet. Um, and then when the science did catch up, there was you know industrial pushback to you know find another reason why it why it might be happening because you know the the corporations didn't want to have the liability and and they you know they wanted to just on a human interest part they wanted to continue to employ the girls to support their families during the war right, and right. things like that so um it's a it's a well-written play um in that it ex- sort of explores all sides it doesn't doesn't demonize um it just sort of poses the the um the points of view of the scientists involved and the lawyers involved and the um and the corporate um, managers involved, and you know, and the girls. And at the very um, bottom of it is, is the girls, which should be at the very top of it. Yes, but the, they have everybody else speaking for them. Mm-hmm. Yes, they. Um, the the girls in the play do speak for themselves. As a matter of fact, the the lead uh, character Grace is a um, is a conflagration of three radium girls that actually did live in New Jersey, um, and they uh, they actually were among five people that uh, that filed suit against the U.S. Radium Corporation. Wow! To speed it up to today, are I'm sure that there was. I think I read an article that recently. One of them just passed, right? She was, uh, last time we did the play, she came to see it. Her name was May Keen. Wow. Uh, she lived in Southbury, I believe. Wow. And she was, um, interesting? she was the last surviving radium girl by all accounts. I mean, she was 106 when she came to see the show. Um, she was all there, boy. She wow. just, uh, 106. She had, a, she had a mind like a steel trap and, uh, she, told us the story that uh, she didn't work there long. She was uh, there maybe, I think she said maybe six weeks, and then uh, she wasn't fast enough or she wasn't uh, diligent enough, and, and the manager fired her, and she said that uh, she always would have wanted to go back and find that manager and give him a big kiss, yeah. thank him for, uh, for because, because she, she didn't suffer lo- the same fate that, right. that 20 or more radium girls did just in, in this area. It, it, that story is incredible. Did, when you look at the play, 
and with this woman here seeing the play, did it mirror a lot of what happened? Is it is it pretty much true to form? It is true to form. Uh, that uh, so far as we know, we do this play because so many people come out and see it and say that they have relatives, you know, mothers and aunts and grandmas and. Uh, people that did that that were radium girls and and that they didn't um they, they usually thank emily for giving the uh, the girls a voice by doing the play that's really incredible and i think it's really neat that we take a topic that not we've heard about but we not everyone's as educated on as to what it really is or i may just be ignorant to what it really was because i had to really research it i had heard about it but not really sure what it meant. I know, I know a lot of people in water in the Waterbury area who were born and raised, and you you bring it up, and and there the the lack of recognition sort of crosses their eyes. Right, they, they, you, don't, yeah. they don't know. It's it's not it's not commonly known. No, and it, it jars something in your memory. And you know, you probably heard about it in passing, but it wasn't something. And you got to wonder if it was left out of some history for a reason yeah it, it's it certainly was it was a bigger deal in new york where the lawsuit happened right um and that's where the journalists were that picked up the story and ran with it there was a that was the emergence of what were called sob sisters which were uh female investigative reporters that did the the human interest the heartstring stories um wow. that, to make to, again boost circulation and get more people to read the paper that's really neat so what drew you to this story when you first did it? Was the, the was last year the first time you did this story? We first did it in 2015, I believe. Might have been might have been earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, but we did it because, believe it or not, one of our students from the Waterbury Arts Magnet School brought us the script and said, "Emily, you have to do this play." And uh, it sat on our desk for about a year and a half. And right. um, it, the, it, like anything else at Shakespeareans, uh, <laughs> it was one of those ideas that whose time didn't hadn't arrived, but it it soon did, and we and we picked it up and, and ran with it and did well with it last yeah. year. And now let's talk about this year. What's different about the show this year for you, um, especially in venue? In right in venue, so we're opening the show in our studio right uh, down on Bank Street in Waterbury, where they're rehearsing right now. Um, and then after two matinees on Thursday uh, on Friday morning, we're mm-hmm. picking it up and carrying it to the old, old Town Hall in uh, in in Woodbury. So wow. uh, we'll do the weekend of performances in Woodbury as well. So you have um, tomorrow night at Shakespeareance, which is at 7. 7 p.m. And are there tickets still available? Tickets are still available for all but the Friday matinees. The, the Friday, Friday matinees, matinees are sold out. Are sold out. And those are, bo- are at Shakespeareance also. And then the 7 p.m. show is at Woodbury Old Town Hall. That's right. And then the 30th, you're doing a 2 o'clock and another 7 o'clock show out in Woodbury. And then there's a 6 o'clock show on October 1st. So, yes, a matinee and an evening on the Saturday and the 7 p.m. on on, on the Sunday, or the 6 p.m. on, on the Sunday. Uh, sh- we want it to be a matinee, but they have a big festival down in Woodbury. So come for the festival and stay for the show. Oh, that's really neat. Yeah. So now the tickets are incredibly affordable, $20. We try to keep them that way. And $15 for a student or a senior, which is which is awesome. So it's under 12 and over 60. Almost I'm there. Almost I'm at the <laughs> senior level. 
So wh- where do they call for tickets? They can call 203-754-2531. That's Shakespearean Productions. 203-754-2531. Or... This one's tough, tough to spell, shakespeareance.org, which is <laughs> one word that starts like Shakespeare and ends like experience. Right. That's how I always remember it. Shakespeareance.org. Shakespeareance.org. And I'm on your website, and it gives all the information, which is great. And there's a link to connect to get tickets to the show. You can buy the tickets right online, no muss, no fuss. You can buy them on your phone. Uh, we've just re- redone the website so that you can, yeah, it's actually, you can actually see it on your phone as opposed to uh, what we had uh, about a year ago. So before we let you go, I'm going to put you on the spot. So anybody that you'd like to highlight in the show anybody you'd like to mention there's a few people there's um there's a a woman by the name of uh, nancy palmento schuler who um was a a student of ours at ollie um on a uh, waterbury history program um she wrote her own monologue performed her own monologue and discovered an acting career she's now written plays that have been accepted in new york um and you know in her retirement even she's starting a new career Uh, she's terrific and then um i personally had to ask uh teresa moran from naugatuck to be uh marie curie in the show um she's a two-time survivor of cancer um and the role is very important to her so um um, and it's very important to Emily that she be in the show. So that's wonderful. So that's some a, local two celebrities to, which, to celebrate. Yeah. You know, and when we did the um, the event for you guys back in the spring, what was really neat about that event was all the local people that were involved in doing that fundraiser and watching them rise to the occasion, especially doing Shakespeare, which was definitely not easy because in a time when we're not, we don't speak that way, it makes it more difficult. And and then to sell it and be funny with it, but to watch it do, I know one of our Franklin physicians who has recently retired, Dr. Feinberg, him and his wife were amazing and they had such fun with it. So, you know, that's one of the other reasons why we wanted to invite you here because St. Mary's Hospital and the Franklin Medical Group. We just so enjoy Shakespeareans and want to support the arts in our community. So thank you, and thank you for you. doing so. Absolutely. Absolutely. So again, we'll tell everyone that the first shows tomorrow night at 7 p.m. at Shakespeareans. You can go on their website, Shakespeareans. So it's Shakespeare and air and experience all in one, right? That's With, right. Yeah, without the X. With, without the S. <laughs> dot dot org, or you can call. Or you can call 203-754-2531. Excellent, excellent. So thank you so much for thank joining. You for and Thomas, me. thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Thomas's son is here. He's always a, a welcome guest. So thank you for supporting your dad. And you're a little actor yourself, right? Um, I'm more of an athlete. You're more yeah. of an athlete? I've seen you do a few things. Um, yeah, I've done Christmas Carol um five years maybe. Um but I've kind of switched over to either backstage or athletics. Good for you. You're the support man behind the scenes, right? Yeah. He's my number one assistant technical director. That's awesome. Well, thank you again so much for joining us. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with Dr. Salib. Welcome back. Robin Sills from St. Mary's Hospital, Medically Speaking. And we are definitely medically speaking now. I know we took a little deviation in the beginning of the show with uh, Jeff from Shakespeareans, but we really wanted to give him the ability to talk about something that we think is really neat for the mind, body, and soul and going out to see culture on the weekend in the fall. How bad could that be? Oh, sounds good. Sounds good. But now we're going to switch to flu season. 
So I have with me one of our primary care physicians from the Franklin Medical Group, who's in a brand new location, which we'll talk about, Dr. Salib. Hi, Dr. Salib. Hi, Robin. Thank you for having me back. Having you back. And I had you when you first came, right? Three years ago. Three. Get out. It's three years. It's been three years. Three years (laughs) you've been with us. So how's life in the Franklin Medical Group three years later? Oh, can't complain. Uh, Franklin Medical Group has a lot of great qualities, and they're very supportive of their physicians, so can't complain. Um, and I'm not planning to go in anywhere, so no, I'm I guess keeping that tells you. A lot. I'm not letting you go anywhere. As a matter of fact, now you're, the new building is so close to where I moved that I've been sending people down to you because I have a lot of people in my community have moved from out of state and need oh. primary care physicians. Oh, sounds good. So you're going to get an influx yes. of people looking for new docs. Sounds good. Sounds good. But I mean, you're busy already. But that's all right. I'll make you busier. Every, everyone's welcome. Everybody's welcome, right? Yes. So where did you come from originally? Where did you do your, your study? Um, so I'm, uh, I was born in Egypt. Mm-hmm. However, uh, we left Egypt when I was six years old and grew up in Canada most of my life. So you feel more Canadian. I am Canadian. You are Canadian. <laughs> and I learned French before English. So <laughs> je parle français. Um, nice. So anyone out there who's looking for a doctor who speaks French is welcome. That's beautiful. Yeah. We have yeah. a lot of people in the southern part of um, Waterbury. The south end was traditionally the French, um, mm. where the, a lot of the French had reside in the south end of yeah. Waterbury. There's still a lot yeah. of French people in that area. No, there is. I have a few patients that do come. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're French Canadians. Um, so yeah, so I did my undergrad in Canada. Uh, went to medical school a little bit in Egypt, back home, and then um, went to the Caribbeans. Did my residency at St. Mary's. And, and that's why we grabbed you. <laughs> yeah. Do you still have family in Egypt? I do. I do have um, mainly two aunts, but most of my family is in Canada. Grandparents, uncles, cousins, my parents, my brothers. Oh, your parents are still there. Oh, everybody's in Canada. They're all in Canada. Yeah. So you reside here with your wife? And right. my two kids. And you have two kids. Uh, my son Emmanuel is four years old. Wow. This coming Monday. And Elena, our little princess, um, <laughs> who's running the show at home, um, will be two in January. So we uh, invited you here tonight because I wanted to talk about flu season. So that's good. now that I know the age of your children, that's a question I have as a grandmother with flu vaccines and how we give them out and what happens. So, you know, every year... When you look at the flu season, you have the ones that say, yes, I'm going to do it. And the ones that say, no, I'm never going to get the flu, the flu shot. I'm allergic to it. I get sick from it. I All these, these crazy yes. things. So I guess I want to start with what are some of the myths about the flu vaccine and what can you put, put aside for everyone? So first of all, um, a lot of people think that when they get the flu vaccine, they could get the flu. Right. From the vaccine, that is. Um, that is not true. Mm. You may get symptoms of the flu because uh, the way a vaccine works is that it stimulates your immune system uh, to build the necessary antibodies to protect you when you actually do get the flu virus. Um, so while your immune system is working on building these antibodies, you can have the flu symptoms, which include fever, headaches, uh, malaise. Some people get them more extreme than others, um, but definitely not like the flu itself. Right, uh, so you get some symptoms sometimes, but then they right. go away. Correct. They're, it's Correct. not a full-blown No, flu. no, not, not close. Not close. Can't even describe, you know, the, the flu... 
is, as we all know, is an epidemic, but once in a while it can be a pandemic. Um, actually, back in 1918, there was the Spanish influenza that killed almost 50 million wow. people. Uh, and there was, there's been other ones as well following the Spanish influenza that caused millions of deaths. Um, so that said, so who should get the flu vaccine? Right. Um, it's pretty much children. Mm-hmm. Um, our patients, mainly over 50, but even more so over 65. Mm-hmm. Um, and pregnant women and anyone who has a compromised immune system. Mm-hmm. You know, if you have cancer or you're on chemotherapy or even HIV and AIDS. Um, these are the patients that need, really need their vaccines because without them, if they should get the flu, uh, it can be actually fatal. It's, it's scary because we have so much knowledge on how to protect ourselves, but yet there's going to definitely be the naysayers that don't want to do it, and they're the ones that put our communities at risk, right? Correct, correct. And a lot of people also, uh, there's this big uh, push nowadays into doing things organically uh, so mm. uh, when my patients come to me I tell them it can be any more natural than vaccines uh, just like you give a hunting dog a little sniff of what he needs to hunt that's what you're doing with your immune system you're just giving a piece of the virus to stimulate your immune system so when you actually do get um, again the virus the body has the, the soldier it needs to, to fight it off sometimes we hear on the news that the flu shot wasn't as effective from your, just based on the type of prediction they make for the type of virus they, how do they do that? How does that so, happen? It's so confusing. So the, the flu virus does change uh, every year. So that's why we have to come up with new vaccines every year. That's number one. So we actually follow a certain pattern and with certain mathematical equations and then um, there's a big surveillance on influenza all over the world to try to determine what is next season's strains and uh, rarely but not uncommonly or uh, unheard of, I should say, uh, we do get it a little bit off. So it's not as effective. It still does not mean you should not get it because some protection is better than none. Right. Like I said, you know, in the past, it can be fatal and and has killed millions of people in the past. So even to get some protection still helps. And, you know, you have two small children. So what, as you know, as a grandparent, as a parent, what do you recommend out there for parents and in their children? Oh, for sure, to get vaccinated. Uh, actually, the recommendation is not only the people I mentioned that need to really need to be vaccinated, but if you're in contact, so if you're a household contact or a caregiver to any patients who are, who are considered at risk, should also get vaccinated. So if you have little children, if you want to protect your children, then yes, you should get vaccinated and have them vaccinated. If you're taking care of your parents who are elderly or if you're taking care of someone who uh, is sick at home or you do have your spouse or your one of your, uh, your children is a frail um, health-wise, then you need to get vaccinated to protect them. Right, to protect them around uh, you. I mean, I, I know when... Um, when my daughter was even pregnant, you know, it was so important for her to get vaccinated, you know, you just even, yes. you know, and those of us around the children, 
to make sure we're vaccinated. But there's so many kids that go into daycare now, too. Yes. So, you know, they're around so many other kids and they pick up so much stuff. Oh, yes. I could tell you that from personal experience. (laughs) (laughs) I know my grandson started pre-K three and he's already had two Uh, colds the end of September. But, you know, we're prepared for that because it's it's what happens. Most of my uh, vacation hours uh, at work are used to take care of my children at home. And I could some of your my patients could tell you that if Dr. Salib doesn't show up, then it's one of his kids. One of the kids is sick. (laughs) So what are some of the people out there that is contraindicated for and why is that? So mainly egg allergies. Mm. Uh, That's the main one. Um, And also is that because part of the vaccine is made with egg? Yes, exactly. Um, And then the other ones are uh, Guillain-Barre. Patients who have had Guillain-Barre in the past, that's also... uh, contraindicated um, otherwise anyone can get it so if um, someone's had Guillain-Barre unless what is Guillain-Barre just to so Guillain-Barre is a um, it's where a virus attacks an area of your spinal cord and that causes um, paralysis mm-hmm. typically that starts from the legs up mm-hmm. um, so you know you have like weakness followed by paralysis then arms and then the 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 dangerous part is when it gets the diaphragm that helps you breathe, breathe. Um, and usually it's a very severe condition you have to go to the hospital where a lot of times you need um, to be monitored closely just in case it does get that far so they put down a respirator in case they yes. need to and usually you need very special treatment um, like plasma exchange therapy and things like that you know it, it's a term that is used a lot but I don't know that the public everybody yes. knows what it is so I just just want to expand that. And if you have any questions Absolutely. for Dr. Salib or, you know, the flu season or any medical questions at all, um, 203-757-1320. Johnny always yells at me for not throwing out the phone number, so just in case. So why not with Guillain-Barre, with the history? So even if someone's recovered from Guillain-Barre? Yes. Um, it's just more of a cautionary thing. Um, and, you know, technically, it because... The, the way it works, it has, again, to do with the immune system. Right. So should you stimulate the immune system again? Could it, again, re-stimulate the Guillain-Barre syndrome symptoms? Wow. So that's why it's more of a cautionary thing because, you know, it's hard to say, and we can't really test it because it would be kind of unethical to And Guillain-Barre is one of those things that's always been a little bit of a yeah. mystery, right? Yeah. S- still to me. So you Yeah. Know, My sister-in-law had common. it. Yeah. As a, as as a child, and uh, miracle one day she just got up and walked. So, yes, pretty neat. Well, but believe it or not, most people do recover. It's incredible. The, the only the only time, God forbid, they don't recover is if they should not get to the hospital on time and they can't breathe. And they can't breathe, right? But usually, if you make it to the hospital early enough and you're being monitored and they get you on treatments right away, I would say most commonly than not, you recover back to normal. It's the wildest um, thing. Do we see it as much anymore? I know we're drifting, but it's an interesting. Uh, Guillain-Barre, um, no, it's still not very common. No, I right? wouldn't say it's a common thing. You probably know more of it because you've heard of it once or twice. Right. But uh, over the general population, um, you know, I can't really tell you the number at the top right. of my head. Right, but It's not a very I've not, I'll tell you, in my nursing so. career, other than knowing my sister-in-law had it, I've never seen it right. in over 30 years. Yeah. I've never seen a patient with it. And just to address something else, also uh, question, a common question: There's a standard dose and there's the high dose vaccine now for the for the flu vaccine. Yes. Um, yeah. What is that? Because I've heard that too. That's 
Yeah, so so the the, the difference is the amount of um, amount of antigen in in the uh, the vaccine itself. So one will cause more of a stimulation of the antibodies than the other. So the standard dose is actually around 15 micrograms, and the high dose is actually four times that. So it's 60 micrograms of the antigen. So it gives a much better or more robust. Um, immune response to the vac- to, to build up your immune system against the virus. So the high dose is really recommended for our frail patients who are over 65, really immunocompromised with a lot of comorbidities. Wow. Uh, so these are really recommended um, to get a high dose. Um, and also, will that do year, anything? Will it have any adverse effect for someone like that? Will it will it trigger more of a, a, a side, side effect? Effects? Yeah. Uh, not necessarily. Not is this something again. new this year? Uh, no, it's. I it's, think we've had it now for the past uh, two or three mm-hmm. years, but definitely there's more of <coughs> a um, more of awareness of it this year. Wow! And so the regular dose is for everyone else. Yes. How about for children? Is there's less? So no, the children we use the standard. We used to use the uh, the, the the flu mist for children. Which the flu mist, right? Do they use that anymore? They do, but it's actually not recommended for this year's uh, for this year's strain season. of the flu. So the um, the 2017 to 2018 uh, flu season, it is not recommended to use the flu mist. What so in looking at um, the strain for this year, are they predicting it to be worse, or are they predicting it to be? Because uh, last year it didn't seem so bad. Thank you, Johnny. Last year it didn't seem so bad. Right. Uh, it's too early to say. So uh, there's actually, if you if you really want to know, uh, or you want to follow the influenza uh, virus uh, as it makes its way into the season which is there's actually a tracking system yes there is Uh, you can actually go on the CDC website yeah Yeah, which we're on now which has so much information yeah so you could actually they track it and tell you you know where things are looking like uh, what to expect this year how severe or how severe and where it is where does it usually start um, so usually it's anywhere between November to April. That's okay. the season. Uh, but however, this is the season for the northern hemisphere. So, so we're the, right in the prime of yeah, it. Yeah. So the the southern hemisphere, it's the opposite month. Um, so can you, you know, if you go down the summer to the southern mm-hmm. hemisphere, can you get the flu there? Yeah, it's possible. <laughs> so when do they recommend we get vaccinated? Because I know we're all just starting, right? In October, we usually start. Exactly. So right before the season hits, uh, mid to end of October, that's when usually um Everybody gets vaccinated, especially, you know, doctors and nurses and everybody in contact uh, with other patients who are frail or immunocompromised and so on. Um, and actually, and it's been available in the local pharmacies since right. uh, actually August. And they and that's a question I wanted to ask. Is it when you get vaccinated too early in the season? Does it, how long does it last? Like, how long is it good for? Well, it's supposed to be good for that specific strain, but it changes every year. Right. So, um, how long does it exactly last for? Uh, It should last you for that year. Should last you for that That year. year. So, if you get it in August, 
It should still, still be, be good, good, but it's always preferable to get it closer to mm. the season because you want you know your immune system to be at its climax and has everybody there right. when it needs to. So all the area pharmacies and hospitals and physicians, everybody has the same vaccine. Yes, you're all distributed the same vaccine from the central location. Right, where right. it all comes from. So. When you see patients and you're you're giving them their flu vaccine, what are you looking for in the history? You're looking to make sure they didn't have don't have egg allergies that they're and then that determines to you too what dose you give them based on their health history. Correct. And also you want to make sure they're not sick at that mm-hmm. time. So that's a great point. So yeah. when they're sick, their body's already fighting something else, right? Exactly. Yeah. And you don't want to get, let's say you do get the symptoms or a side effect from the vaccine. You don't want to do that on top of that and then things will worsen. So, you know, you want to be in your normal state of health. Right. Um, and just, you know, go either to a local pharmacy or go to buy your doctor's office who now everybody should have it by now. And um, we're covered. It's covered by insurance because it's part of your well visit, it right? Oh, absolutely. Yes, it is. So no matter where you go, yeah, you you're, be you're covered. Yeah. What I wanted to ask you, too, was when, you know, when you're going into the local pharmacies and, and you're getting, you know, you're getting the flu vaccine. It bills they bill it through your insurance too, correct? I believe so. Right. Yes. They use they, the, have they the use the same they yeah. use same insurance. So we have at St. Mary's we have the urgent care centers. Right. So I know all five of our urgent care centers correct. offer it. But they can just come right to their primary care physician's offices. We're yes. gonna do a good health history on them too. Yes, exactly, exactly. I mean, um, First of all, your your primary care doctor knows you really well, uh, so mm. he can tell you if you had, or, you know, whether you need the standard or the high dose right. vaccine. Is it a good time for you to get it or not? Mm. Um, and whether it's really recommended for you or not. And absolutely. Um, so yes, yeah, so you could come by your primary care doctor. You could come by our office. You can come by your office to yes. see you because we have an and urgent have, care attached to exactly, you, right? Exactly. So that new location you're at, where are you at now? So we are now at 3801 East Main Street, uh, just across and a block down from Costco. From Co- that's the easiest yes, way to describe exactly. the new location. Exactly. And you love that location. I do. It's nice. It's peaceful. Uh, lots of windows. Uh, nice and lots of trees and around. Uh, it's almost close to what. A retreat center, maybe. Yeah, it's beautiful. <laughs> well, what I love about it, it's on and off the highway. Yes. From both directions. Correct. On, on 84. And again, it's right not far from Costco. And we also have the urgent care underneath us, which has blood draw and x-ray. Correct. So 3801 yes. East Main. And they just moved you a yeah. few a just few a blocks, few blocks down. Because uh, you I were originally in, 1981, right? Correct. Yeah, I was 1981, which I had a great experience there, too. But... You know. Well, we opened up the facility on East Main to, to put that urgent care piece to it. And Correct. I'm sure that you see physicians from the urgent care center as a follow-up, which is kind of yes. neat. Well, yes. Yeah, no, it's, it, no it's, it's a very neat spot. Uh, uh, and we also have our specialists now. Um, uh, you know, we're offering, There's a we have a GI doctor. Thing. Right, Dr. Parvin. Uh, he, I think I already grabbed him for the radio where he's coming. He was supposed to be on tonight, but he's flying tonight yes. then, so he uh, so dr salib joined us for flu shot but we'll get flu vaccines yes. but we'll get dr parvin on he's one of our new yeah, gastroenterologists uh, cardiologists who's supposed to join us and uh, breast surgery mm-hmm. and general surgery 
So we're going to be busy there. Yeah. Well, that's the, the model we have. We have the specialty swing space like we do in our Cheshire location. So with a variety of, of different specialists, which are great for you. Absolutely. Because then you at your fingertips have a cardiologist you can refer to, a gastro, yeah. general surgeon. And, and sometimes I just walk patients surgeon. down the hall if I feel they need to be seen right away. Absolutely. And usually our specialists are kind enough to see them right away. So. Well, we have breast month coming up. So I'm going to bring on Dr. Nicole Sukin, who's going to be, who's yes. been with us quite a while, an incredible breast surgeon with yes, Franklin yes. Medical Group, and she's going to be um, in that site now. Correct. I'm really excited about it. Yeah, no, she's a great person, loves to joke. and uh, Oh, yeah, and it's on and off the highway for doc. her, too, which yes. is which is yes. fabulous. So back to a little bit more about what you're seeing in your office and some of your patients. I know early on when you and I had talked when you first came, you you dabbled in wound care a bit. Oh, yes. You did, right? <laughs> So you see some diabetic because when we talk about wound care, we see you see some diabetic patients. I'm sure in your practice, mm-hmm. so you're really good at wound care. That was one of your babies, right? Way back when. Yes, it is. Um, I'm not afraid of tackling wounds. A little uh, bit. And if I need needs a bit more, then I'll send them to our then wound care. Then to our clinic. wound center, right? Absolutely. Um, but you have a great background in that. What well, has to do during my medical school time, and uh, I had an opportunity to do uh, specifically a wound uh, wound care rotation for mm. for almost three months. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I got a lot of experience from that, and I just kept it going throughout my residency. And then when I went back to the clinic, uh, so if there's an opportunity, I'll do it. Yeah, yeah. well, it's, it's important because, you know, sometimes you'll see that diabetic patient, which is such a common yes. diagnosis for you, right? Yes. And, oh, yes. and they just have a pressure point. Right. That just wants to open itself up. And at least you're doing the skin integrity and you get to really follow those patients. I wanted to bring that up because you're just very well-rounded. So there's a lot more to you than flu shots. <laughs> Thank you. Because you're a great primary care physician and I, I, you're, you have a whole bevy of specialties under, under your belt. Thank you. Um, yeah, we'll try to keep it diverse. I could offer, you know, patients like to stray if possible, in one location. So right. And we offer the, everything there. And so yes. to be able to have you with, with the history that you have and what you do. So is a lot of your patient-based diabetic, what do you see more? Uh, I see a bit of everything. Uh, diabetes is definitely very common. Mm. Um, and I like I really like to tackle diabetes. And uh, I want to say um, I think I'm good enough at it to, and the way I approach my patients, that is, um, and so far, they, they listen to me, which I like. So <laughs> <laughs> they they, they want to do what I ask them to do, which I really appreciate. Keep uh, them on the right track, right, yes, Doc? Yes. Well, obvi- and then uh, things like, you know, your hypertension or high mm-hmm. blood pressure. And then you have your general joint pains and back pains. And I do also do injections once in a while for joints and, um, and things like that. Uh, and certain heart conditions. Um, that I, you know, that are stable enough for me to take care of. Right. And, um, s- before I even send them, sometimes to a cardiologist, I'll do the workup. Um, 
And because a lot of the stuff you see as a primary care physician is treatable, and then you have your colleagues in Franklin Medical Group that you can help network with. Correct. You know, when you find something that you think then at that point needs the specialist. But I think you know when we look at primary care physicians way back when, primary care physicians pretty much did everything. Yeah, some of them where you did surgeries. Right. (laughs) We and I knew a few of them. That's how far back I go. I remember a particular physician that did everything from delivering babies to surgery. they did it all back they then. They did it all back there. Yes. They Back then, they truly did. So your patient base that you see is a variety of all these different things, and you would right. say that when you look at your your population, especially in the greater Waterbury area, do you see that we have a lot of diabetic patients? We do. Yeah, uh, and that's scary to me because that seems to be the common theme amongst I mean, our physicians. And even nowadays with the... Um, you know, back in the day, you know, we used to just look at your fasting sugar and your your sugar at the time of the visit. Now we have the A1C that allows us to give to to look at your average sugar for the past three months. And now there's a new entity that's kind of rising. It's called pre-diabetes, mm-hmm. uh, where your A1C is anywhere between 5.6, uh, sorry, 5.7 to 6.4, and then 6, 6.5 and up is considered diabetic. And more and more, there's studies to maybe start tackling things in the pre-diabetic phase before they do become diabetic. Uh, so I do like to be very aggressive early on rather than later on. Um, how many chances do you give your patients? How many how many times do you repeat their blood work before you so before you tackle them? You're, you repeat it every three months. Um, and it all depends on what they do. So if it keeps rising, then I tackle them. Mm. With something as simple as metformin, it could, it could really help. Um, or if they've done better, then I could just you know let them keep on going by themselves. And again, see them back again in every three months just to make sure until... Do you see if patients are in controlled. that pre-diabetic zone, do you see that they have symptoms? No. Which is even, which is scary because it's you wouldn't yes. even know it unless you had your blood work Even early on. diabetes. Mm. You could have a sugar of 300 and not even know it. It's not until uh, for some reason you decided to check or you went in for a physical. And again, that's why uh, physicals are very important to go at least have your checkup once a year with your primary care because mm. all of a sudden you find out that you're diabetic even though you feel nothing. You feel fine. You feel normal. You feel you know, your normal self. Um, actually, just speaking of that, recently I had a patient of mine who had, you know, that I see every year, and over that one year, her sugars have been running in the 300s, and she didn't even know. Um, so it's to do, your primary care is very important, your checkups are very important, at least that once a year a visit where you get to do your blood work, get to sit down and talk with your doctor, and uh, just go through the everything under the hood, per se. Right, absolutely. Yeah. If you see a patient that is in that pre-diabetic phase with their A1C, so you give them, you repeat it a few times. So... Usually, so the studies showed that patients right. who are pre-diabetic, uh, so the study had two arms. One was, you know, exercise and our lifestyle modification, regular exercise in addition to diet changes. And then the other one was the metformin arm. And they both did well. However, the only thing to be uh, aware of is that in the study, the exercise and lifestyle modification was supervised. So someone was on your back making sure you exercise and ate Like I am with my husband. Exactly. So someone on your back. But either way work, either way in the studies did show improvement in their A1C and they were able to get back to normal. And I have patients 
you know, that are very good about, you know, exercising regularly, which should be two and a half hours at least a week. Mm-hmm. And that's cardiovascular exercise. Which is hard to do for some patients that are compromised or have physical limitations. Correct. You know, so which makes it harder to lower it. But Yes. And then you also have, you know, got to watch what you eat, you know, right. lower, less sugar and less carbohydrates or starchy foods. Uh, and then you could always have the metformin, which is actually a pretty good drug. What is that? So metformin is a drug that causes, in, in simple terms, it makes your body more receptive and more sensitive to the action of insulin. Um, so it makes your body use or burn your, your the glucose or the sugar better. Mm. Um, and, and that's all it does. So it, it should not, some people think metformin causes their sugar to dump. That's not true. It does not cause hypoglycemia. Um, it's it, And there's other smaller studies, but, you know, don't take this with, take it with a grain of salt that also show they may reduce risk of cancer. Mm. Uh, there's actually, I think, studies going on about possibly anti-aging characteristics to metformin. Um, My blood sugar is good. That's not fair. Yeah. I would have taken it. <laughs> so I kind of use, I would have taken it. Yeah. Otherwise, it's a very, very safe drug. It does have this very, 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 very rare side effect of uh, lactic acidosis, but uh, very extremely rare. Um, I think I've heard of it. I haven't right. seen one yet. haven't seen it. Is it contraindicated for anyone? Uh, usually, it's not even, there was used to be this contraindication patients who have kidney disease okay. who, or who are not clearing as well as others, but that's even becoming a bit more lax. Uh, that you know that they may be able to still get it maybe at lower doses but for now we're still staying away from um, patients with chronic kidney disease because the idea is that it can increase that adverse right. effect of uh, lactic acidosis. So is it something like when you take Lipitor so then you know my husband thinks because he takes cholesterol medication that's going to be the miracle drug so you know he can still eat so if you take metformin you still have to have your diet restrictions very much like your cholesterol right right uh yes that's not true <laughs> so you, here you go so what are you doing is you, you're, you're causing competition to your medication right. so can you over override the meds that you're taking over um overpower them yes you can i mm. mean even blood pressure medications mm-hmm. if you eat enough salt that's as if you didn't take any medications i know i had a patient once who went on a cruise came back her blood pressure was 170 like what happened and all, all she said was why well, i went on a cruise I'm like and i've been taking my medication I'm like then i you know as we got talking and then we found out it was the margaritas <laughs> you know, the salty margaritas the the salt you know she was having a few of them every day she's she got to have cruise. them on the rocks yeah no salt on the rim exactly and then, <laughs> Um, and then, as, you know, as soon as, you know, that was out of, you know, as soon as she corrected the salt intake, everything went back to normal. Everything went back to normal for her. You uh, know, but that that brings me back to, you know, I went down this road of what a primary care physician does because we we're talking about flu vaccine. Mm-hmm. We're talking about you can get it anywhere. Right. I wanted to hear all the different things that a primary care physician does or what you particularly like to do and what you see because it's so important to have that yearly checkup. And within that yearly checkup, you have that relationship with your physician and then you can get your flu vaccine at the same time or just call them and you can do the flu vaccine, but they know your history. Uh, If you ask all my patients, all of my patients see at least a separate 
yearly visit for their checkup, and I do like doing the checkups. That's the one time where you sit with your doctor and you not talk about any other problems, and you're going to your checklist of everything else. Yeah. Your preventative tests, you know, as your colonoscopy, mammogram, bone density, the UCOBGYN, the CRI mm-hmm. doctor, and one of them is vaccinations. Uh, did you, you know, do you have the pneumonia vaccine? Do you have the flu vaccine? Do you get the shingles vaccine? Um, and so on. It's also, you know, the time where, you know, they they go through a full review systems from head to toe. They examine you from head to toe. And that's really the opportunity of the doctor to really go through the checklist with right. you. Make sure that everything is in order rather than coming in for diabetic follow-up or coming in for back pain or coming in for uh, any other specific problem. Absolutely. You, you you mentioned one thing that I meant to talk about, so I'm glad you mentioned it, was, was the uh, pneumococcal vaccine. Yes. So some people have to, it's really recommended that they get the flu vaccine. In addition to that, they get the pneumococcal vaccine. Yes. Can you talk a little bit about that sure. before we, we end out? So uh, patients who have a specific illnesses and comorbidities, you know, need a pneumonia vaccine at least before the age of 65. One? Yes, just once. Um, Especially if you have lung disease like asthma, uh, emphysema, COPD, or heart uh, conditions, then you should really get it. Because again, the, the, the frailer you are, or the more medical conditions you are, the more likely the pneumonia will land you in the hospital. Uh, and that's really the target is to keep you out of the hospital. Uh, for patients over 65, uh, two pneumonia vaccines are recommended. So you have uh, the Prevnar 13, that is um, more or less a recent recommendation, maybe in, uh, in the past, actually when I started three years ago, uh, that's been recommended in addition to another a six the recommendation is six months apart, but most of the time the doctors will give it a year apart. That's more of insurance related. Um, that, and you'll get the Pneumovax 23, which is your, uh, that's you, this, the usual one that patients have been giving in the past. And you only need past. that, and you only need that twice after 65, those two? Yes, those two, and then you're done as well. So there used done. to be this previous thing where you need it every five years or every right. 10 years. That's really uh, no longer really in the recommendations or in the guidelines. What about based on life expectancy? So you know, you give it to a 65-year-old. What if they live to 90 or, you know? Um, we'll see. What the, right now, there's no recommendations yeah. for that. Uh, but yes, the life expectancy, the life expectancy I'm sorry, yeah. uh, more and more we're seeing patients over 90. So yeah. uh, it's it's like, again, your preventative stuff, your mammogram, colonoscopy, no longer, there's no data after 75. Right. And then we just look at your patients, you know. Yeah, are they healthy enough? Are right. they, you know, do they need support? Do they need more vaccines? I mean, is it harmful to give it to them? If, you know, if they got it 10 years ago? Unlikely. I, I would give it to them. Right. Uh, if they no were strong issues. enough. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Um, That's interesting. I didn't realize you get that once. I didn't realize that. Well, the, in the past, there was this thing, you know, to get them every five years. Right. And uh, I know some of the patients I inherited from, you know, doctors who retired, um, you know, they always did get every five years. And they'll be surprised when I told them, no, don't worry about it. You know, now it's you just get those two and you'll be good enough. And you're good. Oh, I'm sure they're happy with that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yes. Well, I get stuck yeah. again. <laughs> so, Doc, I want to thank you so much for joining us tonight. My pleasure. It was My awesome. Pleasure. See thank how fast it goes? Me. Yes, it did. It goes yes, really it fast. And you have family in, so I appreciate oh, you coming pleasure. tonight. And jumping in for Dr. Parvin, he owes you. Yes. Right? He does. He definitely <laughs> owes you. So if you had to leave our audience with one thing about the flu vaccine. 
get your flu vaccine. Get it, right? Get <laughs> it. It could save your life or the life of others, uh, especially those around you that you're taking care of, the ones you love the most, mm-hmm. uh, for sure. So get your flu vaccine and, um, you know, don't be afraid. If you have questions, ask your doctor. Right. If you have concerns, ask your doctor. Never be afraid to ask your doctor. Uh you know, and uh, even if you read something that scares you, ask your doctor about it rather than skipping it all together. That's awesome. Thank yeah. you so much. Thank so you. you can learn a little bit more about Dr. Salib. He is on our St. Mary's website, which is a brand new website. You will see our new Trinity Health of New England slash St. Mary's Hospital logo up there. And you can go on ST. MH.org and click on the toolbar on top that says Franklin Medical Group. You go under primary care and you will pull up Dr. Salib. There's a whole bunch of our primary care physicians listed there. And he is at our new East End Primary Care Multi-Specialty at 3801 East Main Street on the second floor. And uh, the number, the main number there is 203-709-4001. And don't forget that there's an urgent care center there, too. On the urgent care center, I believe their hours are 8 to 8 uh, during the week. And I think they're 9 to 2 um, on Saturday and Sunday. Um, you can look at them on our website and they also do x-ray and blood draw at that location so if you have an x-ray from your doctor or you have blood work you can actually go to the 3801 site i know my mom loves them my mom's pretty fussy about who draws her blood (laughs) so she um loves them she just unfortunately i had to bring her to urgent care center for something else but now she has all these new best buddies doing her routine blood work so thank you everybody for joining us and thank you dr salib um we were taping this so you can hear this on our itunes on medically speaking on ipod so we hope that you will re-listen to us robin sills st mary's hospital exceptional care every patient every day Thank you.